Every time he showed up in Jerusalem, it was bad. Every time he showed up in Jerusalem, things didn't go well, at least from people's frame of reference. But this time was different, temporarily. He told one of the disciples, go get a colt from a certain place. He goes and gets it. He gets on that colt. He starts to ride into Jerusalem. And people, having known what he had just done, not days before, raising Lazarus from the dead, have come to see this miracle man, this miracle rabbi, some of them thought of him, that he came to be this great prophet, some thought of him as. A lot of them saw him as a king, but not the kind of king that he came to be, but the king they wanted him to be. But regardless, no matter, he's riding this colt, and here he comes down the road, and people start shouting and yelling and hollering, waving palm branches, throwing coats in the middle of the road for him to ride over. And how beautiful, there's so much symbolism in all of that. And most of us, if we would have experienced that walking down and everybody's cheering our names and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, some of us would end up with heads about six times the size that we started with. But I find something interesting. I want you to quickly, if you could, please turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we're going to start with verse 41. And we're going to move very quickly today as quickly as I possibly can, because we've got a lot to cover in a short time. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As soon as you're there, let me hear you say amen. Amen. To God be the glory. Let's start at verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he what? Wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The reason it was hidden from their eyes at that moment is because they really only wanted to see what they wanted to see. They were walking not by faith, but by what? And by what they heard and by what they thought they knew. How many are guilty of that many a time? But here's the sad part. We don't look at the fact that, wow, what is hidden from us when we choose to do that? But now it's hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you up in every side. Ooh, this is turning bad pretty quick. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. And here it comes, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You didn't recognize what was going on because your eyes were fixed on what you wanted it to be, what you wanted your life to be, what you wanted it to look like. So I'm going to ask you today, what did the people miss? What did they miss? lived here on earth. We're going to look at four things today that I believe Jesus came while He lived here on earth, that He came and He showed us, and we cannot miss them. Number one, He showed. Number two, He shared. Number three, He served. And number four, He sacrificed. And we're going to touch each one of these very quickly. 
Number one, he showed. What did he show? We're going to be point blank. Over here is my dad. He's a, I, and I, they say I'm a chip off the old block. Now, after yesterday, it's a very old block. <laughs> dad thinks it's 39. That's a shame. I'm 45. That says a lot there. Um, you look at my father, you look at me, there might be some similarities. Some people that do, knew my dad when he was younger years ago and then see me, they'll say, oh, yeah, I see. You're definitely your father's son, these, these kind of things. But I'm going to tell you what, when you see me and you hear me talk and you hear me share, you don't exactly see who? My dad. To know my dad, you're going to have to go and know my dad, right? To know me, who you're really just getting to know? Me. But Jesus did something different. And I think we've missed this. The body of Christ misses this. So don't miss this. Jesus showed the Father. He showed the Father every time. Let me read, read you real quick John 14, 6 through 11. You can just jot that down. I'll read it to you, though. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Don't miss this here. Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to who? The Father, except through me. Now, that sounds great. Jesus is the gateway for, no, hold on. It gets crazier. If you really knew, or, um, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. What? Hey, what did I just say? If you know me, it doesn't mean you necessarily know who? My dad, my father. But Jesus is saying, if you know me, you know him. You know me, you see me, who are you seeing? The father. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Philip, one of the disciples, ever asking questions, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you with such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father and the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles I perform. Jesus is saying what? I, when you see me, you're looking right at God, the Father. Now, let me touch base on why, why that's important for us to know. See, before Jesus showed up, whether we know it or not, the Father wasn't really widely known. They talked about Jehovah God, but not many knew God in any way, shape, or form. They knew nothing about Him. And see, here, here's what happens. Us being humans, any human beings in the house? Us being human, we try to make God fit our own understanding. And so this is what we end up starting to interpret the Father as. Follow me. Maybe this sounds like something that one of you all have taken hold of and interpreted God the Father as being strict, angry, silent, untouchable, hard to get close to. We feel like 
okay, maybe he loves us, but he doesn't really like us. He's waiting to punish you every time you mess up. He doesn't care about every aspect in your life. He's holding out on you. See, we begin to interpret God the Father that way even to the point where we get to a, a, a degree where we just say He doesn't exist. Why? Because we would rather not that be the case for us to serve a God like that. So it's just easier to say He doesn't exist. Now see, a few Old Testament figures, they were able to kind of grasp who the father was, like Abraham, like Moses, like David. But for the most part, people were not grasping who the father was. They just thought he was a guy standing up there with his finger ready to zap the tar out of you if you messed up. Anybody relate to that? Church, anybody relate to that? Waiting for you to mess up. Well, this is what Jesus declared. He said, look, watch my life. Jesus said, watch my life. Watch my ministry. Watch all the miracles I do and the good works I do. And guess what was like the first? When you see all the stuff I do, guess who you're seeing? It was like the first time people actually got a true snapshot of God the Father in the flesh. The Word became flesh. When people saw Jesus, they were looking at who? God. In fact, Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the exact, everybody say exact, exact representation of the Father. So when Jesus showed compassion, guess what that means? God the Father. We see denominations all around us, some of them that really struggle to even be able to coincide the Old Testament with the New Testament because they're like, how can the God of the Old Testament be like the God of the New Testament? doesn't even make sense. God seems grumpy. Jesus seems nice. God seems angry. Jesus seems happy. God seems upset at everything I do. Jesus feels compassion. Guess what? Who has interpreted God as being angry and grumpy and unjust? Who has interpreted him that way? We have. Jesus came that we get it straight. This is who the Father is. So when Jesus was compassionate, he was saying the Father is compassionate. When you looked at Jesus as a mighty deliverer, God is a mighty deliverer. When you saw Jesus eager, everybody say eager, eager to forgive, guess what? God the Father is eager to what? Forgive. When Jesus healed, and by the way, can anybody find an instance in Scripture where Jesus didn't heal someone who came to him? I don't get that. But I do know the Scripture, everybody got healed that came to him. However that looks. But what that tells me about the Father is he wants to heal, and he can heal. And he can set free. Standing on truth. God is truth. Standing firm. And guess what? Jesus wanted to see people transformed. The Father wants to see people transformed. Let me tell you right now, Jesus did not come to just bring us to himself. Hear me. Jesus did not just come to bring us to him. The Scripture is very clear. He came to lead us to who? The Father. 
John 14, 6-7 says again, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. You say, so why are you saying this, Dave? Because Jesus was sent. Jesus came. And there were several parts to what's going on. And what he came to make sure, first of all, people understood who the king was and what he was like. Because for thousands of years, people are looking at God going, and there's a difference between holy fear, reverent fear, and just plain scared to death. And a lot of people just did this. And so, as we find out, when you do this enough, eventually you just do this. You just turn your back. People misread God, all the, the Father, all the time. So, with God's plan, what he did was he said, first we're going to establish the fact that people are going to know me. And how are they going to know me? Because they're going to see me. How are they going to see me? Because when they see Jesus, they're going to see the real me. Who's hearing that today? The Father. When you look at Jesus, that's God. Everything you see out of Jesus, that's God. In fact, if you try to coincide God the Father doing anything different, because what did Jesus continue to say? Everything I do is what the Father tells me to do. Everything I say is what the Father tells me to say. But I thought Jesus was God. He is, but He is the portion of the Trinity that came here to reflect the Father. So, number one, He showed, He revealed, He showed the Father to us. Number two, Jesus came to share the kingdom. This is something that we've missed. Jesus came to share the kingdom. How many know that the Bible, Scriptures, really is, if you look at it, is, a, is kind of a love story in a sense. It's about a people and a king, a king and his citizens. It really is fascinating if you really look at it that way. See, God created man. Why did God create man? <laughs> For fellowship. Why did God create man? Representation. What are you saying, representation? He placed man on the earth to oversee, in a sense, his kingdom on earth. Do you know that? In fact, the Scriptures say he made us a little lower. So King James translates it a little lower than the angels, but that's actually the word Elohim, which means God. So really, he made us a little lower than who? God. Why? He says everything on the earth is God, or everything. He said, I've given everything to man on the earth and, 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 and to oversee. Everything in the heavens is mine. And I say, well, what about, doesn't God own, own the cattle in a thousand homes? Absolutely, he is the final owner, but who is the manager? Who's the governor? Who's in charge? We were. We walked that out. His kingdom was set here. We were supposed to live forever. It happened. Forever. Then something happened. <laughs> Flesh. People. Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed. Sin entered in. We lost the kingdom. Everybody say lost the kingdom. We lost it. Now, here's the crazy part. God came and set up a situation where through his people, the Jews, he set up a way for the kingdom, everybody say the kingdom, to be restored back to mankind and restore man back to his kingdom. As a matter of fact, how many believe that Jesus came solely 
to save us. He came to save us, but there's a whole bigger picture to this. He came to save us to restore us back to what we were created to be in the first place. He didn't just save us just to get us out of here and put us in heaven. No, he saved us to get us into the kingdom and operate down here until he calls us home and restores the kingdom. I might be getting over your heads just for a moment, but follow me just for a second. See, you say, why do you say that? Well, when Jesus preached, you know only three times in the New Testament did he talk about you shall be born again? Now, I'm not, I, that's vital, absolutely. But you know what he preached the most about in the four Gospels? The good news was the good news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Go through it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's what he preached. I have come to declare the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. See, he preached the whole kingdom. In fact, you can sum up everything regarding what Jesus did. And we have one of two choices. One of two choices. You make the choice right now. We can choose restoration, which the only way to be restored is to be saved, right? We can choose restoration or we can choose wrath. That's it. Restoration or wrath, that's it. I just summed up the whole thing. Restoration or wrath, we have the choice. In fact, John 3.36 is very clear. Just so you know, I want to make sure you understand, I'm not just pulling this out of a hat. John 3.36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. He's experiencing the what? The kingdom. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. See, God wants to refuse Jesus. Who's he going to restore us through? Jesus. If we refuse Jesus, what's still on us? His wrath. His wrath. The gospel of the kingdom of good news is this, that when Jesus came, you ready for this? When Jesus came, God moved into the world in a new way. He exerted his rule and authority in a new way. He attacked the devil. I like that one. He attacked the devil in a brand new way. He's dealing with sin in a brand new way. He's gathering people together in a new way. He's empowering his people in a new way. See, that's when, when Jesus came, he truly was the way. He wasn't just any way. He was a brand new way. Who's following me for a moment? He was a brand new way. He was a brand new way. Now, it's interesting. He brought in the, he, he, he ushered in the kingdom, and he, just said, he said, I want you to understand something. I am not here to make everybody happy. I'm here to restore the kingdom to its rightful place and restore the people who were, was given, it was given to and then turned it over to the enemy. I'm going to restore it back. And the only way you can experience that restoration is ye must be born again. You must know him. So the kingdom, starting with Jesus, became as the Scripture says, was in our midst. So here's the thing. The kingdom of God is one of these things, real quick, I, I'd probably put it in. It's now and not yet. 
Kingdom of God has begun, and we're walking it out. Be honest with you, I'm going to touch on this in about one minute. Uh, we live it. We're called to live the kingdom. I mean, what's the prayer? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're called to live it, but is the fullness of the kingdom happened yet? Not yet. It's coming. Not yet. But should that be holding us back? No, man. I'm going to tell you what. There's so much kingdom already. We should be just, just walking in greatness. And I'm not talking about greatness where yay for us. I mean greatness and yay for him. Excitement, joy, peace, love. So, yes, what we see in Matthew, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But see, Jesus didn't just talk about it. Jesus lived it. He lived it completely. You all know the story. Mark chapter 2. We don't have a roof to lower Colby down into. But Jesus was standing in a room four friends lowered Colby, lowered a paralyzed man through the roof and laid him on the floor in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him in their midst. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus is all about the kingdom. Understand that. Does everybody get that? Jesus is all about the kingdom, restoring. Guess what he says? Okay, how do I get this guy restored? Most of us would think, get up and walk, run, go. No, what's the first thing Jesus says? He looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. What did Jesus just do? He made himself as the gate. He opened a way for this man to be restored into the kingdom. Your sins are forgiven. But then again, we had the religious people all around us, the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are just going, this is nuts. How dare he think he can forgive sins? Only God, the Father, can forgive sins. By the way, if you saw Jesus, you saw who? Only God can forgive sins. <laughs> well, Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, looks down and says, okay, here's the thing. Just so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, and here comes the rest of the, more of the kingdom of God, I'll say. Take your mat and get up and walk. What did Jesus just do? He made a way for the kingdom to be restored, for him to be restored to the kingdom, and then he showed more of the kingdom. Wholeness, completeness, restoration healing. That's what Jesus showed. He was all about the kingdom. And he wanted us to be all about the what? The kingdom. And you say, well, what are you getting at, Dave? 
well, I'm not getting anything. I'm just going to go with what the Bible says. John 14, 12. I'm going to end this section with this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I'm restoring you guys to the kingdom. Start living it. Third thing Jesus did is he came to serve. How many know that Jesus is a servant? Now I'm going to press you even more. How many know that he has to serve us? How many know that he has to serve us? He has to. Mark 10.45 says this. Let me read it to you real quick. Mark 10.45 says this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus came to serve us. Now, how many think here, and oftentimes have been taught and think, Jesus served so that we had an example on how, on how to treat other people? How many have thought that? Just be honest. Jesus served and modeled service so that we knew how to treat other people. Thank you, Kim. Anybody else want to say, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That Jesus came to serve us so that we, okay, that's about that much of that, yeah. But there's more to it than that. And Jesus exemplified it not too long before, or not too long after the, um, the triumphal entry. When he called all his disciples together in the upper room, and they were gathered around, and they had just walked in. And you have to understand, folks, the custom was this. I'm going to bring the, uh, the owner of the house would bring a basin and set it at the feet of the guest. But unless there was a Gentile slave, Jewish slaves were not even allowed this because it was, felt, it was felt too demeaning and humiliating. Only Gentile slaves. If there were no Gentile slaves in the home, you were responsible for doing what? Washing your feet. The owner provided the bowl and the basin. You washed your feet. Unless, of course, there was a Gentile slave. But according to many, Gentile slaves were worthless. These men are gathered around, and Jesus took his outer coat off. Probably rolled his sleeves up a little bit. Right in front of his disciples, starting with Peter. And he did something that was the most unusual thing they'd ever experienced. Not just unusual, uncomfortable, embarrassing. Why? Because here's their master, and what is he doing? He is taking the, he's taking the place of a Gentile slave, the lowest of the low. Jesus reached down.
washed his disciples' feet. Peter looked at him and said, I can't let you do this. Jesus said, look, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. If you don't let me do this, do you hear that? If you don't let me do this, you can have no part of me. Why? Because Jesus came to serve. You better let him serve you. He said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, let me just say this. Are you able to live the Christian life without him serving you? Are you able to face any trials in this life without Jesus serving you? Are you even able to serve anybody else without him serving you? Why? Because it takes a humble man to sit in a chair and let the master wash his feet and come to the realization that without him, I can do nothing. In fact, as a matter of fact, Jesus serving us is because if he didn't serve us, <laughs> where would we be? Where would we be in a heap of trouble, in a heap of hurt? Because we'd be trying to do it in our own strength. When Jesus serves us, we are able to do everything he's called us to do in the kingdom. Who's hearing right now? So he came to show the Father. He came to share the truth about the kingdom. He came to serve us. And oh, the greatest part, he came to sacrifice. He came to sacrifice. I want you to think about it. The only sinless man, everybody just look at your neighbor and make sure they realize this. He was sinless. Tell him, tell your neighbor, he was sinless. He didn't deserve. He didn't deserve anything that happened to him. He was sinless. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he declared, oh, of course, the most famous verse we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. And what does that perish mean? Experience whose wrath? God's wrath. Sometimes we think it's the devil we should be afraid of in that respect. No, I'm more afraid of God's wrath. I want to I be kingdom side for us. His wrath was never intended for us. We chose it. I'm going to say it one more time. His wrath was never intended for us. We chose it and continue to choose it daily if we are not seeking his face. So he came that we might have life, have it to the fullest, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Luke 24 he was telling his disciples, look, the Son of Man is going to have to be delivered over. Delivered means what? When you deliver something, what's that mean? You are actually taken 
and place there. Okay? That means someone intended for you to go there. The Son of Man must be delivered over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. What I'm about to share with you guys could be quote-unquote controversial. Who knows? I'm not trying to be controversial. It's just a thought, but I, I think it embellishes even more so the Savior's love for us. So it's just a thought. I'm all ears if you want to debate it later. But, it's, but in Genesis 3, 22, I just want to read this to you. Genesis 3, 22, the Word says this, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. I want you to understand something. While sin brought spiritual death, Adam and Eve could have continued to physically live forever because they had access to the tree of life. Everybody understand that? May I ask you a quick question? Who is the way, the truth, and the life? Who? Adam and Eve were spiritually dead in their sin, right? That separated them, right? Who is the only sinless being that ever was? Who? He was without sin, and He is life. As a matter of fact, Jesus, in a sense, is the tree of life. <laughs> He's life. Amen? So my question is, especially after he said this, when he looked at Pilate, oh, I bet old Pilate got, a, got a, such a face when, in John 19 when Pilate's like, do you know what I could do to you? And Jesus is like, <laughs> you can't do a blame thing to me that hasn't been allowed. <laughs> You got no hold over me. Now, Jesus was loving. I'm pulling off the John Wayne thing. But, you know, you don't have a hold on me. But then what did he say about Satan in John, 4, in John 14? Satan has no hold over me. Okay, come on now. Jesus, the tree of life. Jesus, the only sinless one. Satan had no hold over him. Man had no hold on him. May I ask you a question? Is it just possible that Jesus could have been beaten, started the beating back then and still be alive today if he himself had not chosen to die? I'm just asking you right now. Do you think it's possible that Jesus could still be getting beaten right now, generation after generation, physically beaten right now and still be alive? Well, if you want to go by definition, Jesus is the only man that could have continued to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But he goes to the cross. And then what's the, the icing on the cake for me? It says, and I like the King James, he declared, it is, oh, I didn't hear you. It is, and then it says, then he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. Nobody killed Jesus. He had the sin of the world on him, and he was still there alive. It wasn't until he said, it's done. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
I love these people so much that I'm the only one that can make this decision, and I'm going to. I'm dead. He chose to die, not, not, not man. Oh, I get, I, get, I get cracked up by some of these books. They try to blame the Jews for his death. No. They're trying to blame the Roman soldiers for his death. No. You know what? The only one that could choose whether or not he die was him. Why do you think the cup was so, <laughs> so difficult? Because he had to choose that. Nobody else could do it. He chose it. And who did he choose it for? He sacrificed himself because he loves you. He's coming down. All right, let's rewind. Jesus is on the colt. He's coming down that street. They're yelling, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All thinking along the lines of, this is the guy who might perform miracles, he might do this, he might, he's a prophet, he's a rabbi, he might even be the king who's going to come in and sweep Rome out of here and bring us what we need, when all along, Jesus is coming down that road thinking, I have showed you the Father. I have shared the kingdom with you. I have served you so that you know you can't even walk the kingdom without me. And I'm going to sacrifice myself to bring it to completion so that the kingdom may be restored and the wrath may be removed through Jesus. Is it a wonder he sat back and began to cry going, how are they missing this? How are they missing this? You didn't recognize this. How? Because these people wanted to see what they wanted to see wanted to hear what they wanted to hear, and wanted to live the way they wanted to live. Jesus, we're coming before you today saying thank you for showing us the Father, for sharing the kingdom, the truth about the kingdom, therefore bringing salvation that we may enter in and be restored to it. Thank you, Lord, for serving us, for without you, we can do nothing. And thank you for your sacrifice that has made all this possible. Thank you for what you did while you were here on earth and how it continues to, 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 to want to knock on every heart's door and say, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. God, you're good. Oh, Father, you're really good. And I want to thank you right now that every person here today can see the Father. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Every person in here today can see the Father, can have a relationship with the Father through Jesus. They can be restored to the kingdom. They can be empowered through the serving of Jesus by His Holy Spirit. And it's all been made possible by His love for us choosing. God, I want to thank you this season.
that we might live. God, I want to thank you this season for what it is that you are doing, Jesus. Continue to change every heart in here and transform my heart. Change us all. That our eyes would be fixed on you and not on ourselves. That our eyes would be fixed on you and not what we see in here, but what we know and who we know, and that is you. Oh, more than ever before, Lord, for me today, John 15, 5 is so true. I can't do anything without you, Lord. I'm so thankful for you. So we give you glory. We give you honor. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' holy name I pray. I just ask you just to stand in this last moment. And with every eye closed, I'm not even looking at you. I just wanted you to take a moment, but we're doing this together because we are the body. Amen? Jesus, we together choose to recognize what it is that you did while you were here on earth. We recognize that and we see it as preparation than what you are doing for us spiritually. When we talk about your, re your resurrection next week, when we talk about your death tonight, Lord, I want to thank you, Father, for what and what it is that you're going to do. To God be the glory. We love you, and we thank you. So right now as a body, we choose to receive today the fact that <laughs> you came and you showed and you shared and you served and you sacrificed. We receive that. Thank you, Lord. God, you're good, and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Love on somebody next to you before you leave. And let me see you here tonight at 6 o'clock for Love Feast.